Hi, I'm Floyd Alexander-Hunt and you're listening to Brief Exchange. Today's episode is with Anjali Nadarajani, a lawyer at Minta Allison who works in intellectual property practice. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Floyd. I'm super excited. Oh, it's very exciting. Should we jump straight into the questions? Yep. You're feeling great. feeling ready? <laughs> <laughs> it makes it sound like it's going to be an interrogation. It's not, I promise. Um, okay, so tell me why you chose to study law. Was there a big reason behind it? So for me, it was an interesting one where um, 17-year-old Anjali was faced with this conundrum that many young people face, which was, what do I do after school? And (laughs) I never actually necessarily saw myself going into legal practice when um, I took up law, even though that's what most people say you should do law for. Uh, (laughs) For me, I knew I was always interested in rhetoric and reading, argumentation, and really wanted a degree that could encompass that. And also, I was often been guided by this quote that I've heard since I was young. I think it's a, it's an, it's Winston Churchill who once said that you uh, make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. And that's always really resonated with me. And I thought that law would be this great vehicle because it's um, such an important tool for protecting people, for encouraging civil and political discussion, for solving problems. And I thought, felt that was a really um, wonderful way to do it, which was to study law in that particular regard. No, I love it. Love the quote as well. It's, I feel like I always go by quotes by Katy Perry or something. Much yeah. More <laughs> but no, that's great. What, where in your journey did you think, oh, actually, I do want to practice? Was it when you actually started practicing or was it sometime during your degree? It was, I would say, my penultimate year of university. So I took an exchange trip to Indonesia mm-hmm. and I'd been to Indonesia previously for my other degree, which was an arts degree. And I wanted to come back and do a law uh a few law subjects over in Indonesia. And part of that involved doing an internship. And I decided, well, I haven't got any commercial law experience. I've only ever done work in think tanks or in public policy. And I thought maybe this is a great opportunity. And Norton Rose Fulbright's office over in Jakarta had an opportunity. I took it up. And I really surprised myself in that I I realized I really enjoyed the work. I loved the fast-paced nature. It was really interesting and stimulating to understand more about Indonesian law and the Mm. way it worked in the international sphere. And that really got me hooked. And when I came back to Australia, I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll apply for clerkships, even though I had really no intention initially. I thought I'll just go and do maybe a graduate program at the end of my studies or pursue something else, further study perhaps. Um, But that was really the turning point for me. Uh, And then I did the clerkships, went through that sort of traditional pathway. And and here I am today working in a law firm. (laughs) No, I love that. How long was your exchange and the stint working in Indonesia? That would have been about two months. So okay. it was my summer holidays. I went over there and I lived for about two months in Jakarta, commuting back and forth, wow. um, almost like a, a local. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. Um, what area of law are you most interested in? That's a tough one. And has it changed? <laughs> um, I currently work in IP and I love it. It's yep. such a fascinating, um, multivaried area. Like I do copyright, trademarks, privacy, there's 
uh, matters to do with celebrity rights, sports rights. So it's really it. diverse. <laughs> uh, and with the whole area of artificial intelligence really coming up as well, there's so much um, change and development every day. Yeah. But I would say that I also have a, an academic interest in war law, which is completely different. Yeah. Um, and that was because when I was back at university, I did my honours thesis in war law and autonomous weapons wow. and just really enjoy how um, it's such a it's such an interesting field because it's really looking at the relationship between morality and law and the fact that it's very difficult for the law to regulate autonomous weapons mm. um, in armed conflict because it not just doesn't just go to legal issues but uh, it questions of morality and who has meaningful human control in a weapon yeah. and who has moral accountability for making life and death decisions. So that's always fascinated me, but yeah. it's uh, it's completely different to IP. But I, I just love the the multivariate nature of both. I like that you've got niche expertise in IP and war. So you're like, I can, those two areas yep, I can help you with. That's right. No, very interesting. Um, recently I read you did a summary on the Battle of the Bunnies case. Yes. Um, I, I found it fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit about the case and basically whether, can chocolate-shaped bunnies be trademarked? <laughs> So, yes, uh, Battle of the Bunnies, um, I aptly named it. And for some reason, it also came out around Easter. That was totally unintentional. <laughs> uh, but it basically involved a major supermarket chain called Lidl, which is well known in Europe. Mm -hmm. And they decided to sell these chocolate-shaped rabbits. And the question was whether by selling these chocolate-shaped bunnies that infringed upon Lindt's iconic golden-wrapped chocolate bunny that we see around Easter time. Yeah. Uh, the test that the court applied was whether the reasonable average consumer would be uh, confused when they went into mm. a supermarket and they saw Little's uh, chocolate bunnies and wondered whether those were limps. And in the end, the court concluded that, yes, there was a high risk of wow. confusion, which was really interesting because it means that if you're a chocolatier or a um, confectionery maker, you now have to be really pretty careful about what you do in Switzerland, particularly, uh, <laughs> because if you manage manufacture a, a chocolate-shaped um, rabbit, for example, you may actually yeah. not be able to. And in this actual case, the court said that those poor chocolate bunnies had to be either destroyed <gasps> no. or melted down and reshaped, which was, what? I think, quite devastating in my view. But <gasps> unfortunately, that was the only resolution in order to ensure that they weren't infringing. But it's, it's a really interesting case because in Australia in particular, it's actually quite difficult to protect what that we call shape trademarks, so yeah. trademarks based on shape, uh, because Did they... the colour of the packaging have any? Yes, yes. So the well? co okay. colouring of the packaging, even the even small details such as the paws or the ribbon oh, wow. uh, that's on a rabbit, they look at yeah. everything. Words that are on the on the particular product, so it's it's a very careful examination. And yeah. unfortunately, in the case of little, uh, unfortunately, they won't be able to have a chocolate shaped rabbit sold around <laughs> Easter time, thanks to Lindt's, um iconic chocolate rabbits, which, to be honest, you can't really go wrong with. But, no, you yeah. can't. Although I'm sad about those poor melted bunnies. Yes, me <laughs> too. <laughs> um, All that chocolate. <laughs> yeah, sounds like such an interesting area of law. Um, pivoting now, can you talk to me, this can be in um, your kind of studies or in your professional career so far, but what has been the biggest challenge you've had to overcome? I think the biggest challenge I had to overcome was a little bit both professional and personal and, and also part of my studies, which was during the pandemic. Yeah. I was 
faced with this uh, major dilemma of my entire life being upended because I was in my final year of university. I'm someone who's very meticulous, very structured and had this whole plan set out about what I wanted to do after university. And when the pandemic came round, I was faced with uh, a delayed career start, a year of really having no plans because yeah. all my plans had basically been thrown out the window. And that was a really big challenge for me because for so many years, like, you know, I'd always had this tried and tested way of if I prepare, if I plan, if I do everything according to She prepared to this for roadmap. this interview. Yes. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> That's right. Uh, everything sort of sorts itself out. And here I was sort of faced with this just uncertainty on sort of the edge of a bit of a perched precariously on this cliff of what do I do? Yeah. And it really taught me to bounce, the importance of bouncing back from setbacks because it really taught me, for example, that it's you can't really control the situation, but you can control your response to it. You can try to see the opportunity and the difficulty and find a way through that. And I think that's really important because often I've heard a lot of people tell me, you know, the most important choice that you make is the uh, is what you decide to believe about yourself and what you can do. And I think it was really important for me not to just self-limit myself. Uh, and that was actually an opportunity for myself to actually explore some other side passions and interests yeah. that I might normally not do because initially I had this uh, job at a law firm lined up and that was where I was going to go straight from there. And here I was sort of faced with this uh, opportunity to pursue some other pa- research passions in a different, completely different industry. And that was a really fantastic way to open my eyes to something and really satisfy that interest that maybe I wouldn't have been able to. So um, that's, I think for me, was a really important setback. And I've kind of applied that to other areas of my life now. Um, Importance of just pushing outside my comfort zones when you're faced with sort of these these challenges and not accepting failure and not allowing failure to get to you and just uh, being open and and allowing yourself to just move past and, and value those those challenging experiences because often you learn the most from them. Yeah, true. Yeah. It's painful at the time. Yes, but yeah. painful at the time. That's right. <laughs> that's great. Um, so you said that you managed to pursue some of your other passions. Yes. Um, I've actually had a listen to your podcast. Yes. You run and co-host a podcast. That's right. Um, called Women in Suits. Can you tell me a little bit about what's the premise of the podcast? How do you juggle it with everything else you have going on and maybe let me know your favorite episode yeah yeah oh yes it's a really exciting project that I started with a friend uh when we were at university we we had a lot of similar interests and we decided a few years ago that we want to do a podcast together we we love you know talking to people and getting to know more about them and basically it's called women in suits Mm -hmm. uh it's a podcast that aims to showcase trailblazing women in the law um and our hope and vision is to empower and enlighten and inspire other young women and what we do is we have conversations with women in different industries within the law and talk to them about what makes them tick uh you know how do they balance work and life um what are their passion projects and it's a real it's been a really amazing experience so far because we've gotten to connect with people who we would normally not uh, be able to in our networks. Our very first episode was an international human rights barrister wow. based in uh, Europe. She regularly advocates for her clients in the International Criminal Court. And I just stumbled upon her YouTube channel and thought, wow, she's fantastic. I'm going to see if I can just cold approach her on LinkedIn. And I did. And she was really positive about wanting to share her experiences. So it's oh. been a really interesting way and in a way kind of a career growth tool because I've been able to just sort of talk to all these wonderful people in the industry and learn from them. Mm. Um, In terms of, I guess, 
the most interesting episode I've had. I, it's hard because they've all been so unique. You know, yeah. we had a, a criminal lawyer. We had a professor who's starting a program called Pathways to Politics for Women who wants to get more women into politics and she teaches constitutional law. Wow. Uh, but if I had to pick one, there was one that really resonated, which was my interview with Eve Thompson. She's yeah. a commercial litigator and partner at a law firm and she recently published a crime thriller novel called She Too. And I thought that was really inspiring because she had such um, interesting insights into why it's so important as a young lawyer to pursue creative interests outside the law and the importance of creativity. Yeah. Uh, and I'm someone who also loves to write in my spare time. I've always had a really deep interest in creative writing. So it's really inspiring to see how that has, how she's sort of broken those traditional molds of what it is to be a lawyer. And yeah. often in law, it's, it's, it can be an all-consuming career and you might think that yeah. you don't have time for those pursuits. But what she, what her, from her experiences, she's really uh, shown me that it is so important to to have those pursuits, to be more well-rounded and actually to do your job better in, in many regards. Yeah, no, yeah. very inspiring. Um have you got any advice for young lawyers such as yourself? <laughs> yeah, uh, I have so many things I've learned along the way. Um, I would say one of them is to back yourself. Uh, as I mentioned before, some, the most important choice I think that you make about yourself every day is what you decide to believe about yourself. And mindset is so important to being able to achieve goals, to be able to move forward, to break outside of your comfort zones yeah. and to ensure that you don't limit yourself. Um, another thing is to keep persisting. Life isn't black and white and it's often the best leaders who manage to navigate the grey and to and to pursue things in a different way. And often the way to get somewhere isn't often the most direct route. You might have to go against the grain and pursue things in a different way, but you will get there in the end. And you need to just enjoy the, the journey along the way. And one further piece of advice I would say is what you do is not who you are and not to attach your worth um, uh, sorry, you need to know your worth, sorry, outside your work. And that's really crucial because it's so easy often to fall into the mold of thinking that your work defines who you are. But there are so many elements to it. And it's often yeah. a deliberate process of reminding yourself that um, you can define yourself however you want. And it's not just about what other people define you by. Absolutely. Yeah. Have you in your career so far relied on mentors at all? Yes, uh, I have a few mentors at the moment uh, and I cannot sing enough praises about it. Yeah. I think it is should be mandatory for every young lawyer to have at least one mentor and I really wish I had one when I was at university. Yeah. I only really started to get into it when I started professional life and I think it's so important to have a mentor. They keep you accountable, they help you to connect to you to opportunities and people you might not otherwise Absolutely. be able to. They support you and guide you and can tell you when you're wrong and right and are just such a great resource for bouncing off ideas yeah. and I think if some, you know, for, for advice for young lawyers who might be looking for a mentor, the Law Society does run a mentorship program that I've personally used and have loved. And I think that's a really good way if you're unsure where to seek mentorship and you want 
a mentor that is maybe outside your organization or in a different mm. field, it's a really good way to to do that. And, uh, you know, it goes on for a whole year. So you get you really get to build rapport and trust in someone and surround yourself with people you can trust. Yeah, yeah. no, great advice. Um, now, this is such a hard question. So it's okay <laughs> if you don't have a vision for this, but where do you see yourself in five years? It can also be yeah. just five months. That's fine. <laughs> However you like to work. I wish I did have a crystal ball because <laughs> I would love to, to know You'd love um, to plan it. <laughs> I would love to plan it out. Um, but to be honest, one of the pieces of advice that I've uh, been given is not to look too far ahead in the future because yeah. we often spend so much time deliberating and uh, worrying about the possibilities of whether we're making the right decisions. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's really important to just walk the path that feels right to you and see where that takes you. Uh, for example, for myself, I'm going to be taking a leave of absence uh, later oh, yes. this year. Yes. Where are you going? I'm heading to Beijing on a scholarship program called the Schwarzman Scholars Program. Yeah. And it's a, basically a one-year master's degree studying at Tsinghua University in Beijing. It's a very unconventional wow. sort of path, I would say, for an early career lawyer because most people I know would often go to London or the yeah. US and they study their master's degree uh, over there. But this was something I just felt was really important to me to really push outside my comfort zones. I wanted to learn a new language, explore a different culture and um, tap into a, a different part of the world, which I think is so important, especially in today's geopolitical 21st century landscape and something that not a lot of Australians, I think, do, um, yeah. even though Asia is our closest region to us and such an important player in, in the international stage. So I really wanted to just explore and pursue that. And I think in many ways that will open my eyes to new things. And yeah. that's why it's so hard to know, you know, where I'll, what I'll be doing in five years or where I'll be. But I just hope that I'm all learned and educated and yeah. um, I guess persistent and compassionate in what I do. <laughs> that's so exciting. Yeah. So you leave end of this year? I actually leave at the end of August. Oh, so wow, it's coming so up pretty fast. That's very um, so learning Mandarin at the moment and wow. you know, try, trying to get myself mentally prepped as and well. And doing a master's. And doing a master's wow. as well. So <laughs> it's going to be an intensive, but I'm really excited. Oh, that's so exciting. Um, okay, last question. Uh, is there anything you wish I had asked you? I feel like you've covered Any so many critique, things. Any critique, anything? One thing I, I love to ask uh, on my own podcast to, yeah. to my guests is like, is there a personal mantra or a, or a quote that really resonates with you? Because I feel like it says a lot about the person and it's always so interesting to see what drives them and what that, what gets them up in the morning. Yeah. Um, for me, I kind of have a, like a few different things that drive me, but um, you know, like I mentioned before, uh, you know, the Winston Churchill quote, which is, you know, you make um, a life by what you give. And in the same way, another quote that really drives me is, I think it was Mahatma Gandhi who said this, which is that you'll discover your own happiness and yourself um, in the service of others. And I think that's kind of always driven me because I'm someone who would hopefully like to commit to others and, and be a person for others. And that's something that drives me often, gets me up in the morning and, and shows me sort of where's my purpose, where's where's the meaningfulness that I can bring. Um, but I always find that really fascinating to ask people. I agree. I think my one is um, Just Be Yourself by yeah. Katy Perry. Um. Yeah, love that. It's simple, <laughs> straight to the point, simple, direct. iconic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, no, I loved yours. It was so great to chat to you. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks so much, Flo. I really loved it. And good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for listening to today's episode. 
Brief Exchange is a production of the Law Society of New South Wales. Executive producer is Francisco Silva. I've been your host, Floyd Alexander Hunt, and we'll be back in your ears next month.